Hi, I'm Chris Brodenin, the 2023-2024 president of the Junior League of Atlanta, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of JLA Inside Out, stories from inside and outside of the Junior League of Atlanta. Hello, welcome to another episode of JLA Inside Out. Today we have uh, our guest, State Representative Deborah Silcox, and my name is Marshall Weeks, host of JLA Inside Out. Uh, State Representative Silcox, please say hello to the audience and tell them about yourself. Marshall, thank you so much for having me this morning. It is a delight to be here on the Junior League po podcast. I have been a member of the Junior League for a really long time. Um, I grew up in a family with a lot of volunteers, and um, my mom was actually very active in the community and did a lot of volunteer work, and so I felt compelled to do that myself. Uh, but having said that, I will say that the Junior League has just been an amazing experience for me because I have um, made friends, of course, lifelong friends. I have gained tons of skills through different Junior League trainings and um, been able to advocate for women and children for a long time. So it's great to be here. I, I grew up here. I went to Riverwood High School, the University of Georgia undergraduate and Emory Law School. I practiced law for about 10 years and I actually gave up partnership in my law firm um, to work part time, which was unusual at that time to be able to spend more time with my children. And um, it was really at the urging of our former state representative, he said, would you run for my position? I'm going to step down. And mm -hmm. so I decided to run. Every, all the odds were against me. I had the mayor and backing a former city council member and all the good old boy establishment was like, oh, Deborah Silcox, this is gonna be a cupcake race. And my mom and my sisters and I really got out and hustled. And, you know, as we know, women vote more than men, right? That's just right. a fact. Yeah. And the women voted and I won the original race by 151 votes. Nice. So whenever you think your vote doesn't count, it certainly does. But it's a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you for having me, Marshall. And that's a great story because it just shows what you can do when you put your mind to it and your mom and sister were behind you. I think that's an awesome story. Very awesome. So let's talk about Georgia Pre-K and Pre-K Week. Um, can you tell us how um, did you get involved in promoting early childhood education, specifically Pre-K in Georgia? You know, I first got involved with early childhood education when my children attended the Atlanta Speech School, which of course was started by a Junior League member. Yes. And I wanted my children to experience really what kids with disabilities were like. Okay. And the Junior League was, of course, had a placement at the speech school, kind of got introduced through the, through the Junior League to the speech school, and then was just astounded, particularly the kids with cochlear implants. Mm -hmm. Before mainstreaming was even a term, they would mainstream those children one at the time into the regular pre-K classrooms. And okay. I just thought that was a really, really cool thing. And I wanted my children to experience that. So I first got involved with early childhood education a very long time ago. My very first placement with the Junior League of Atlanta was advocating for women and children down at the Capitol. And so I had a first, you know, really a 
a front place ticket to um, to be down there and advocate for women and children's issues, including pre-K issues, because as we know, so many, so many of the things that we learned, I don't know if you remember that book, but everything I ever learned, I learned before I in kindergarten. Yes. That's a that's a book. And okay. so many of the skills that we have are are started very, very early in our lives. Yes. And so I don't think you can overemphasize preschool education because I do think that children need as much attention as they can before they go to school. And ideally they can at least start to learn to read before they go to school because because they, before they go to kindergarten or first grade. Uh, because again, so many of our skill the skills and things we learn, we learn before we're age five. Absolutely, absolutely. It it really sets the foundation. And so can you speak to the early childhood education and the impact on a ch on a child's long-term success? I do think again that early childhood education can't be overemphasized. It's interesting if you look at the research, it really reflects that a lot of the patterns that children's that children learn through hearing rhymes. That's why nursery rhymes yes. have always been so popular because if the children can hear the rhythm of the rhymes, mm -hmm. it hurt, it helps them to identify patterns when they start to read. True. And so reading to children from a very early age can really set them up for success in their early school years. Because again, the more that you read and the more that they can hear the patterns of the sounds of words, particularly rhyming books, um, is really an excellent way to start kids out. Yes, and I hear that you will be reading um, soon because the Junior League is sponsoring a book. Um, yes. And I heard that you'll be reading. Are you excited about that? I am. I am. In previous years, I've actually read at my elementary school in Sandy Springs, Spalding Drive Elementary. Um, but this year, I'm actually assigned to um, St. John's Preschool Center on Mount Perrin Road. So I'm excited to go over there and meet a new group of of young people and um, and read to them. But I really appreciate the Junior League sponsoring this. I think this is a great project for the Junior League to get behind because they have always been involved with women and children's issues. Yes, and I love how involved you are. I mean, you're you're like an Atlanta native. I, I think about <laughs> the schools you went to, you know, elementary school, your undergraduate law school. I mean, you really have your ear to the ground here you know, in the Atlanta area and the different things that are going on. Can you speak to any initiatives or policies you've been working on to improve pre-K programs in Georgia or just some of the things you'd like to see? Probably the greatest thing was this past session, we passed a literacy bill that because of the, unfortunately, the drop in scores statewide and across the country because of COVID, yes. uh, the reading scores in particular went down. I think this was a fantastic bill. It's actually going to take the state of Georgia back to emphasizing phonics, which yes. when I learned to read, that's how I learned to read, of course, was with phonics. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And again, I don't think you can underestimate, again, the sound of hearing somebody read, particularly rhyming, again, rhyming books. And so I do think that this is a great new bill that's going to, again, place the emphasis on phonics again in our classrooms. And I do think you're going to see those reading scores go up again. 
Okay. And so for the parent who may be listening, who says, you know, I agree with you, you know, can you give me some advice on what I could do to, you know, to help my child, you know, go toward that, uh, the route of, um, you know, reading, you know, setting them up to read. I know electronics, you know, we're living in this digital age, everyone has a device. What would you say to the parent who's saying, you know, give me some tips on how I can get my child reading early? I think it's important to try to have some books around, but I know when my <laughs> kids were when my kids were little, I really I would take them to the library. Yes. And I would encourage them to pick out things. I would say, what are you interested in? What kind of animals or what kind of people or what kind of what what are you interested in? And so mm -hmm. I would I would deliberately let them pick out books about topics that they were interested in and we would read things that they that they wanted to hear about. My sister Renee was a great example. When she was in first grade, she she told the, her first grade teacher that she did not want to read these Sally, Dick, and Jane books anymore. <laughs> she said, she said, when you get books about ballet and horses, then I will read. <laughs> and, so, and so my mom went out and bought all these Walter Farley books about horses, and Renee just ran through them. Um, but again, I think I think you try to pick out something that your child is interested in and you take them to the library and you show them this world of all these books that are available and, you know, um, and that you can learn so many things about so many subjects that, you know, it's it's unlimited. Right. But I right. think the idea of the library is kind of a lost art um, that we need to get back to, because um, I do think libraries are incredible resources for our community. Absolutely. And I think it's it's surprising to me because um, I grew up having a mom who took me to the library. She was a teacher. So my life was completely different in the summer. I had I had to read and we went to the library often. Um, a lot of people don't visit the library today. I find they'll say, oh, wow, I, I didn't know there was a library down the street. And our libraries have so many resources. I mean, they'll even let you check out like a, a, a computer, a laptop to use. And they have the reading programs there in the summer. I see for families, they even have um, days where the family can come in and you just sit around and read, which I think is awesome, especially in this age where everything is a device, everything is an app. Um, do you have any success stories that come to mind um, on how pre-K education has positively, uh, positively affected children and families in your district? You know, I think that the success speaks, you know, to the SAT scores and okay. college placement and all those things, because I think that pre-K education is the very start of, of your formal education. Yes. I would love to see, I would love to see us have pre-K mandated across the straight uh, across the state. I really would, because I, I think that you can't overemphasize that early learning period time that just how critical that is, because your brain is growing as as a child, your brain is growing and forming, yes. you know, new synapses in your brain every day. And so to the extent that you can stimulate that and provide as much education in terms of reading that you can. Um, I know my mom was a teacher too, and mm -hmm. I had to earn a, a reading certificate every summer that was mandatory. Okay. And, nice. uh, and I do think that, you know, maybe you set up incentives for your children to give them some kind mm -hmm. of reward. Um, I'm not into bribery. 
Um, but, <laughs> but you know, maybe uh, maybe ice cream or some kind of food or your favorite dinner or something like that. Um, I know that we would have a celebration when my kids would finish their reading certificate, and um, it was just a treat, right? Yes. And so some kind of reward system, I think, is always good. Yes, I think when I was in elementary school, we had the book it program. And that was so exciting because you would read the books and you get a star on the button. And then at the end, you got a personal pan of uh, pizza. Like you could go to one there of the we pizza. Go. That was exciting for us back then. Very exciting to get that. You felt so proud of yourself. So those are very, very good ideas. I think bribery is good if it's going to make them read. <laughs> <laughs> the ends justify the means there. So I think that I, I don't mind that at all. Now, you mentioned you would love to see pre-K mandated across the state. Do you foresee any challenges with that? You know, the challenge is always funding, right? Because there are unlimited demands on the state's resources. Um, but again, I think that would be kind of a dream of mine just because mm -hmm. I think if every child could go to preschool, we'd have a more educated society. Yes, absolutely. And then what partnerships or collaborations with local communities or organizations that are helping to enhance pre-K education in Georgia? Is there any ones um, that you could speak about? Probably that other, the other partner with y'all in this effort is Voices for Children. Mm -hmm. And they are, they are big on that. But, you know, I would say the entire, you know, education establishment, certainly all the teachers and and everybody wants the kids to read, you know, yes. everybody. And the greater degree of literacy that we can gain in our society, the great, the more functioning, you know, we're going to be, the more educated we're going to be. Hopefully, the more, the more well balanced we're be. Because of course, if you can read and you can, if you can learn to read, then you can, you know, you can eventually navigate the the internet, and then you can right. find the resources that you need for whatever's going on. I do think that increasingly we're going to see more and more, for example, telemedicine, mm. uh, because the, the cost of healthcare and all, I think it's going to be more self-care. I think it's going to be more important than ever in the future to be literate, yes. because I do think it's where we have workforce challenges already in Georgia, and I think those wor workforce challenges are going to get worse. Mm. So the degree to the degree we can mitigate with people being able to read and, and navigate the internet and hopefully help themselves, whatever yes. is going on with them, um, the better off we're going to be. Absolutely. Um, I agree. And in speaking of literacy, do you have a favorite book that you remember from childhood? You know, one of my very favorite books was the Anne Frank story, okay. which I think everybody should read the Anne Frank story. It's sad, of course, that she yeah. that she dies, but the the great the great story of that really is the importance of our democracy and mm -hmm. to have freedom and to never have um, the oppression of the Nazis or anything like that in our country. Um, and the great the great victory over that is you know that we have her story right and we yes. have her tale, and um, I think that you know it's important for people to recognize that minorities should never be suppressed in any way that we need everybody's voice and we need a healthy democracy. That's awesome. I agree. Tell us how your service in the JLA has contributed to your success today.
Oh gosh, I could talk about this all day long. <laughs> but I will say that probably the most obvious thing, um, you know, I had never been on a board before. And so to be on the board of the junior league and learn Robert's rules of order and how to conduct a meeting okay. uh, was really, really important because now as a member of the MARTOC committee, I conduct, I have committee meetings and I have to follow those procedures and know what I'm doing and be confident about it. So, um, okay. That's just one example. Um, when I was back on the board for the first computer for the junior league, and it was going to cost the league $10,000 and it was wow. going to be a huge investment. But I said, you know, we've got to have this. It's the way of the future. And I really pushed hard. And as, as a consequence, of course, the league has grown tremendously because of the nice. benefit of computers. And um, mm -hmm. But gosh, I've learned so many things. Public speaking, how to get mm -hmm. up and talk to a group. Yes. Address, how to go to a meeting. I mean, so much protocol about business I learned. I learned the junior league. So I really appreciate everything the league does and, and just think it's a wonderful opportunity for people to plug in, learn more about our incredible philanthropic uh, community in Atlanta. You know, the league connects you to so many other nonprofits. Yes. And um, it was the inspiration for me to help start the Chastain Park Conservancy. For example, I helped okay. start that. And um, that has just been a huge success. I don't know if you've walked around Chastain Park anytime recently, but um, it's just an amazing, it's just redeveloped the whole, that whole Chastain Park area um, okay. because of the Conservancy's efforts to rebuild the park and main, keep it safer, green. Yes. I just, okay. um, I just thank the league for so many things. Yes. Okay. What advice would you give to someone who is thinking about joining the Junior League? You know, they've been hearing about it. They're listening to our podcast, but they they haven't gone on to the website to sign up for an interest meeting. What would you tell them? I would say you should you should join immediately. It's a great <laughs> opportunity to make new friends in Atlanta to, again, get to know the nonprofit community, to get your hands hands right in there helping people and just feel better about what you're contributing and what you can do um, in Atlanta to make a difference. Thank you again, State Representative Deborah Silcox for joining us. Thank and you, Marshall. It was a pleasure. Um, I'd be happy to come back anytime. What a great conversation with Georgia State Representative Deborah Silcox and the importance of literacy. So great to have her. If anyone asks you about the Junior League, this is who we are. The Junior League of Atlanta is a dynamic organization of women who are committed to making a lasting and transformative impact on our community. We develop and train our members to become informed volunteers who take on unique and targeted service opportunities. As a diverse group of women, we live, we work, and play in Atlanta and believe community involvement will make the largest impact. With over 100 years of service, you would be hard-pressed to find an organization in Atlanta that has not been impacted by a woman in the Junior League of Atlanta. Thank you for listening to this episode of JLA Inside Out. If you have feedback, thoughts, or questions, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at insideout at jlatlanta.org.